Well, Brondon, clearly one major talking point in the game. Everybody been asking for it. We've got VAR. And is there yet more drama to come here? I'm obviously really, really happy with VAR. Ask us to the VAR people, please. Don't ask to me. For me, it's very clear. VAR is for say, is good or is not good. The VAR brings the truth to the game and everybody accepts it. Welcome to the VAR Booth Podcast. I'm your host, Coach H. Um, today, we are going to be doing things a little bit different. Today, I have two other coaches with me. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be discussing, debating, challenging each other on youth soccer, specifically winning versus development. Uh, my first coach that I have is Innocent Bullet. Did I say that correct? Oh, yes, you did. Yes, Innocent Bullet. Uh, he's out of New Jersey. He coaches for Quick Touch Football. He coaches um, the from 2010 to 2003, both girls and boys. Correct, Innocent? Correct. Awesome. Uh, they play in the EDP League. Uh, he's been coaching since uh, 2011, so he has a lot of years in coaching. Um, the other coach, I have Ricky Hogg. Ricky, how do I say your last name? Hogg. Hogg. Hogg, like, almost like Hulk Hogan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ricky... Uh, He's been co- he's a coach at uh, Chicago FC United. It's important to say Chicago FC United because there's other FC Uniteds in the country. Um, FC United, uh, as we all know, is one of the DAs in Illinois. I think there's only another D- the only other DA is Soccer's FC in Illinois. Ricky coaches uh, 2005s, uh, 2006, and 2008 boys and girls. And they play either MRL, Nissel, or the IWSL. He's been coaching for three and a half years. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Uh, Ricky, just talk a little closer to the mic. And don't worry, don't worry if you repeat yourself or you make any mistakes. We can edit it out. I want you to be as comfortable as possible. All right. So... Uh, let's, let's, let's just start with the overall sort of like general aspect of youth soccer. First, let me ask you guys individually. How do you guys, uh, in, do you enjoy youth soccer? Do you prefer, I'm, I'm assuming you've obviously had also opportunities to maybe coach in college as well. A lot of you, I mean, both of you coach uh, fairly young players as well. Uh, what is it about coaching youth um, soccer that you actually enjoy uh you know we'll start with you um so i got into youth soccer by accident you know you know i played college soccer at Rutgers, and i I was training kids six years old five years old training kids for benfica academy there we had a benfica academy and i think what made me get into this was after a month of doing it, driving home with my roommates and the guys I was working with that were on my soccer team, college soccer team, we were talking about literally these kids, what they needed to work on. And we we naturally were thinking about the players after we did what we were doing. So that got me into pretty much the game. And since then, pretty much, I just wanted to see kids getting better. and. That's all I focus on, like kids being able to use their left foot 
before they could. You know what I mean? So that's why I, I got into it. Like turning that player into something that he didn't even know he could be. That's what got me into the game. So you, you completely fell in love with the development part of coaching. Yes. Yes. Whether, I mean, obviously, I mean, I've seen videos of you coaching and I know you're a very passionate uh, coach. Um, you're, you're very commanding. Um, I'm assuming that when you are playing a match, when your teams are playing a match, obviously you want to win, but that's not the primary reason why you're, right. you're standing on the sideline in the first place. Yeah, so I love winning. That's why I coach the way I coach. And then I think that's where, I don't know if it's time to get into it, but like I love winning, but I want my players to win the right way. The, the way where they appreciate it. You know where they take it home with them. That's where I'm at. You know what I mean. So that's that's I'm very demanding on winning in a way we can take it home. You know what I mean. What do, what do you mean by the way they appreciate it? So what I mean is like, allow we, you know how we've played all of we all have played, right. and no one you can most of us don't remember winning games that we did not really really like we you know we have scored goals where we did not know how they went in yeah but we love the goals that we know how they went in so i want my players to understand how they won the game like oh you know, i get it yes i get what you're saying yes i want them to understand why they stopped the striker why they stopped that that number 10 and why they were able to find that open striker. That's what I want them to enjoy, like the process of it, the journey to winning, not the winning, the journey to it. That's what I'm all about. Makes sense to you. Secretly talking about building up over there. Um, Ricky, what about you? What got you into uh, coaching youth soccer? So almost kind of similar to Eno is uh, I was playing college soccer at Missouri State, and you know, as we all have been there, broke college kids need some extra money. And I got into uh, private training on the side for some youth kids, uh, kids who came to our camps who I made a good connection with and everything like that. And after a, after a few sessions, I just realized how much I enjoyed uh, one the, the one-on-one connection with kids during private lessons, but also just being able to see the end result of developing a a, a young player to where they started to where uh, even after a few one, two, maybe even three practices, they're really picking up on what you're teaching them. And then when you watch them in a game, you see them use it in a game. And that's when it just kind of clicked to me that I really enjoy like kind of giving back to the sport that's given me so much throughout the years. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So uh, this uh, question number one and, um, I'll you know I'll I'll point it to one of you guys and then maybe the after that the the, the other guy the uh, the other of you can um, sort of like evaluate challenge that agree disagree and maybe add a, add a few points over here. So my first question is um, and I know you guys understand this uh, this question very well, but it's as simple as it as I as it is. I'm going to ask is what does it mean? to win ricky I'll, I'll start with you for you as a coach you're standing on the sideline on a saturday or sunday what does it mean to win um i've, I've thought a lot about 
the whole winning versus development. And to me, as a coach, winning uh, can go as far as depending kind of what age groups I'm coaching. So when I coached back in the past um, with older age groups with an 0102 team, winning to myself went more of they've already been developed, they know how to coach a game, and it was more of the end result and did we play well. But where I sit now coaching the younger side where I coach now, it's more of how are they playing? Are they are they playing together? Are they playing for each other? Are they enjoying playing together? And have they been are am I seeing what we've been working on in practice implemented on the field? I care less about results to an extent. Obviously I love I love winning and I want my teams to win, but I sit back and I enjoy and I take fulfillment out of seeing them do what we've worked on in practice, uh, doing overlapping runs, cover, uh, covering and balancing, everything like that. So when they really play for each other, work hard, and then I see the things we've been working on shown in the game, that's kind of a win for me instead of just focusing on the end result of the game. Cool. What about you, you know? Um, the thing about, so, um, for me, and I know hat, I guess you age, you follow me a lot on Facebook and you can tell, but like, I think like youth winning is, is different for me. Like if you're not part of like the top five teams in your state, mm-hmm. um, I think the five top, top teams in the state winning is different for them versus everybody else. So, um, and this is why I feel like people are getting it confused. So I've coached, I coach every level. I've coached rec level. I coach kids who can't walk, kids who are playing at Philadelphia Union, right? Captains, right? So, and I've realized the number one thing for me is winning is having a player go back home for me is go back home and and the parent told me did you see when billy and john did this moment in the game for me that's what i only focus on yeah a moment where individuals are getting moments um, of like moments yes i want the team to win but the only way the team wins is if every player can create their own moment so the focus for me is every player creating a moment and continuous moments that create that winning right so we want to win right but i don't want to win just because my striker can score five goals i want to win because my defender can find the open gap you know like i don't care what level it is i don't care if it's u7 to u18 it's the same concept can you do what you're supposed to do in whatever moment, in whatever football moment? So that's what winning is for me. Like, I am not competing at a level where if I win the championship, we get $10,000, you know, a million dollars. So it doesn't matter. Like, it literally doesn't matter. The winning is for the parents. And yes, kids want to win. Players want to win. We all love winning. But do we really care about winning that much? We play college soccer. Do we really care about winning that much? No, we don't. But we care about the moments more than the winning. That's why. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's there's a there's a lot to impact in both of 
your answers because a part of winning, winning is actually a part of the developmental aspect as well, right? There's so many, there's so many things that uh, a player gets from winning and there's so many things that a club gets from winning and including a coach. I have, I have sat in meetings where, where certain coaches being interviewed and certain people are literally just going through what they've won. Right, and then that was that was the, that determined whether or not a, you know that coach got the job was a uh, job or not, yeah, and right. also right. you know let's not let's not forget the the confidence that a player gets um, from winning and how the winning aspect invites different players into your club. It does all of that stuff. So as much as we don't want to emphasize the importance of winning, winning is still very important. So how do you balance that out, uh, you know? So for me, my balance was, so I did, um, when I used to, we had, me and my ex-partner and my close friends, we, we had a club in New Jersey back in the day. And our teams were pretty much top 10, top 25 teams in the nation. Mm-hmm. But we won with style. We had kids who played pretty much that. We, we, we started the, Football where the Barcelona La Masaya type of football type of uh, culture, and we had players, we had kids, we had goalies passing to left back and right back. But what it did was that, apart from us being able to win the the the, the games, we lost a lot of the bigger games, right? So we lost a lot of the bigger games. But we won because of the style of the players. Our players were units. Like, they were in the... They did exactly the same thing. The goalie did the same thing as a striker. Mm-hmm. They received the correct foot. They knew how to use the left foot. They knew how to pick their head up. So the winning for us was that we would lose to a top team 5-2. But their best player realized their ultimate best was not going to be had by winning every game because they had better players. Right. Being able to learn to work with their weaknesses in games. So that's why I think we were winning more than the bigger clubs. You know what I mean? Where those players needed, they were winning, but they were not getting the real ingredient for the next for football, like for, for, for how do I win forever instead of winning for today? It's easy to win when you're younger. How do you win when you're older? You know what I mean? How do you get drafted? How do you become a professional? Does that make like those are those are two different things? Winning at a young age and winning to become a professional are two different things. You know right. what I mean? So you so you have your mindset is more of sort of like the the AX philosophy where we don't really care if uh, we win this game at U10. What we care about is when you're U16, you can cross the ball with both feet. And that's, that's exactly. evidence of our winning. And then once you graduate to put, be playing, maybe whatever, whatever their goal is, do you Division One or USL right. or MLS, right. that, that, that's a win for us. That's the right. way you see it. Exactly. So that's, that's what I'm focusing on. Like, can you ping that ball against the best Duke defender right. in 10 years. That's what I'm fucking thinking about. Awesome. So, Ricky, so if that's sort of like winning, so what does it mean to develop then? 
Um, so when I think about development, I kind of think about, I think about it in basic form at a younger age. So just, just a quick comparison on how I really visualize the difference between like a winning environment and a development environment to an extent on, on those different ideals is like, if you think about a U seven to U nine, anything like that, just soccer in its basic form when you're usually first starting out. If you want to just be in like a winning scenario, you just you just put your fastest guy or your or the kid who's grown the fastest up top and you put the kid who has the longest leg and can kick the furthest at the back and you just tell him to kick it over everybody, let the fast guy run and he typically scores a few breakaways and you win most of your games. However, how I view development especially at a younger age like that is sometimes you have to Tell that kid we're not we're not here just to win today. I want you to take a one touch and then play a pass. Yes, we may not win because we may have teams that we go against that do just do the kick and run philosophy at a younger age. But once we get to a bigger field and the technical aspect of the game really comes to uh, fruition, then that's when we're going to really show what we can do on the field and show that we're the better team. Like like Eno said, we may. We don't want to be the best team that day. We want to have the best environment and be the best team overall to where it's not just results that entice people to come join our club or uh, join our team. It's just them seeing us on the field saying, wow, they really move the ball well. They're really good at this. They're really good at that, which gets kids to one sign up for the club and want to join that coach. And then that that brings kids in. So I really look at the development side of, I really want kids to just be able to play the sport the right way. I want, and I want kids to not just learn one position. I don't want to. I don't want a nine-year-old coming to me and say, "I'm a center back." You're nine years old. Mm-hmm. I want. I want you to be able to know every position, or at least know a lot of positions. Play different positions. Know which one you fall in love with. Have a few backups if maybe you have a Lionel Messi on your team where you're just not going to take his spot, and. I want I want everybody to be on the same page so the right back knows where the center back should be in this scenario, so on and so forth, to where the development side really comes into play. So I'm more focused on developing the kids, one, not only physically and technically, but also mentally as well, to where they know that this is what everybody on the team should be doing and this is how we play soccer the right way. So you said, Rick, Rick, Ricky. One of the things you said is you want you want to teach them how to play the right way. What is what is the right way of playing? Uh, I think that depends on uh, every coach, every club you're at. It really it really just stems from. Sometimes it stems from a DOC who has a lot of experience who implements a specific way of playing throughout the club to where maybe at a. 9v9 age group you're playing a 3-2 what would be a 3-2-3 or you're playing a 4-1-2 or whatever it is because they want that to build towards playing a 4-4-2 once you get to 11v11 or maybe a 4-3-3 or a 3-5-2 it can stem from that of every a certain club has a certain way of playing the game where they believe that's the right way and you fall into that. Or you as a coach can just believe that, hey, 
for instance, Barcelona, their belief to play the right way is we want to play possession. We want to knock the ball around. We want to we want to show what we our technical ability on the field while also having fun doing it. While there, you also have like Stoke City in England or or uh, any any other team like that where it's more direct play where we're physically going to be stronger. We're going to get into you. We're going to make you really have to battle. So I feel like it it comes into uh, the coach's belief for the club and the, philosophy, and the philosophy of the club. Okay, so I'm glad that you talked about someone like Stoke, right? Because I, uh, Ricky, you will know that I coach some pro players. You know, so doesn't know that, but a lot of a lot of the training that I do with pro players in their preseason is directly uh, connected to the way the team plays and the level of the team. So there are some. Professional strikers, I won't name their names, whereby we work on getting in behind because most of the time he's going to be attacking from a counter, yes. right? And we specifically work on that. Um, so do you feel, and Innocent, you can un- answer this question as well. Do you feel that maybe if you have a team that has three good players and one of them is that striker up front that is a bit pacey, do you think that playing those direct balls and now you stopping those direct balls from coming for the sake of development is underdeveloping that player's potential to be able to develop those qualities of running in behind and playing in the counter and scoring goals. Um, my take on that, because I understand what you're saying, is that development in that s- little scenario is this so i'll give an example let's say a javi or an iniesta right or uh or a keita at a young age right if barcelona is a build-up team right what does build-up mean for them does it mean building to keita in the midfield or building to the striker so what i tell i have i have players i have a player right now who's an 05 and I feel like he's ready to play all three, so he plays all three games as a number six. And the reason why I have him play number six because he's great. He's good at passing five yards left, five yards right, ten yards left, ten yards right. But now, can he find the striker when he makes that run? So here's what happened. If you watch videos of professional games, and you know, as a college, I played striker as a striker. I have had more runs that have not been played than runs that have been played. Right. But the key is having those runs that have been played. So my development philosophy isn't. So when I say building up, it's like, no, no. People confuse building up. You, I, I'm, not a, I'm not about building up style. I'm about football. If you can't pick your head up and, and if you've trained with Thierry Henry for five fucking months. Yeah. You can't realize that Thierry Henry is always making a run. You're never going to find Thierry Henry. Never. So my goal is for my midfielder to find him those two times, but miss him those three times, but still keep the ball. That's all I'm about. Because those two times that they find him, those are two goals. That's where I'm at. Like, that's the level I'm at. So I'm at the level where, like, make that pass because you know why you're making that pass. Don't make that pass because you're hoping it happened. I don't like hoping. I like, 
understand like understanding what's happening. I don't like guys who guess who, football maturity. That's what yeah, you're like about. see the game, see it. So I want pe- I want my players to slow down the game because I feel like everyone thinks the game is so fast because they are focused on the next move, not the current move. So slow the game down by focusing on becoming better at what you're doing right now. So whatever is happening next is slowed down for you because you'll become better at the current move, the current situation. That's the game down. And people are not doing a lot of players and coaches are not emphasizing on slowing the game down for players. That's why we're not creating a lot of more the Iniesta's, the Postcodes, the Beckhams, because we're not slowing the game down for the players. We making everything too fast. That's why it's so, too direct. Yeah. No, no, I I, I completely what you what you get what you're saying. So let, let's talk about developing uh a Xavi or Iniesta, a Tiago Alcantara, someone like that. And I was having this conversation with another coach about a week ago. How much of Enrique, you can you can start this answer. How much of natural talent goes into developing an Iniesta or Xavi as opposed to natural talent of someone like Messi scoring so many goals, going on a dribble and scoring so many goals? Um, so I think, I mean, natural talent, don't get me wrong, it does come into play because not everybody, uh, for instance, you have you have players who, are playing in the USL right now or the MLS who may have had the same amount of training sessions and the same amount of game time minutes-wise and everything that Iniesta and Xavi may have hey, had. Sorry, you're breaking up, Ricky. You're breaking up. You're breaking up. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah that's sorry. Uh, so uh, I think, like I said, don't get me wrong. I think uh, natural talent does definitely have a factor in it because you have players who – maybe playing in the USL here in the US or the MLS that have just as many game minutes or just as many practices uh, trained in that Xavi and Iniesta may have had in their career. But obviously you can't, you can't almost compare anybody with them when it comes to vision or their technical ability on the ball, especially together as a unit. So I think it uh, natural Natural talent does have something to do with it, but it also has something to do with just the environment you're put in. So, for instance, they were po- both put in La Masia. I think that's I think that's a huge thing. And like you said, in Messi as well, they're all there in one specific like niche to where it just kind of it, it blended with their talents and their abilities. And the coaches there did an excellent job on training that and bringing that to the best it possibly could. While if, for instance, you put Messi in maybe like a Manchester United nowadays or or maybe even Man City Youth Academy or something like that, maybe they look at him and may, obviously it bases country to country, but maybe they look at them and they say, they're too small and not strong enough, they're not good enough here, or something like that, and they push him away. So I think... Yeah. I think natural talent has a lot to do with it, but I also think there's players in the world who have that natural ability um, to an extent, but they're just not in the right niche for them or they're not in the right place at the right time to where they don't have that coach that's going to bring it out the way that Messi, Xavi, and Iniesta were able to at Barcelona. 
Oof, you you've you have okay, this is getting juicy now because if I ask you guys, both of you guys a question right now, who is in the current US national team? Um men's or even women's, who who is our and I say our because we are all in the United States right now, who is our person or player that has that ability to pick passes at any at 360 degree angles. Do we have that player? And if we if we do have that player, what environment do you think was created for that player? And if we don't have that player, because I believe we don't have that player, is it because of the fact that one, that player did not have the environment, Ricky, that you were talking about, and two, did not have the coaching that you were talking about? You know, what do you think? Well, we don't have that player, right? <laughs> okay. We have I, defense. I, I and we can we all have defense, and we have defense and forwards who have scored goals somewhere, somewhere, whatever it is. But the reason why we're skipping, and that's why I go back to the midfield, and I told you before, in our nation in America, we don't know how to uh, to create midfielders because we, this is the issue with Americans. We focus on the number six, and we focus on the number 10. We don't focus on the number eight. Number eight is, I think, the most, like, played down position in midfield. We don't have no number eights. The more number eights you have, the more number, the better number tens you're going to have. So... I feel like it's easy to focus on the number six that can turn and play a five-yard, ten-yard pass. But then we forget that number eight has to be able to pick out and create that third-man run, that run from stagnant position for a winger, a striker, whatever it is. We don't, we don't, we're not creating the number eight. So we're focusing on players we so good example Pulisic, right? So Pulisic is like a number eight slash number ten type of player, but we want him to be a number eight, number ten, and then a number nine at the same time. So it's like so it's like we do not nurture his talent. We nurture what we think he is. So when we say nurturing talent, we don't know how to nurture talent because we. We think the most talented player on our team should be whatever all the most important positions on the team. So we, we, we do not nurture that player that is actually good at that one aspect of the game that we need them to make Pulisic the best number 10 in the world or the best number 11. So that's what we're doing wrong, I think, in this nation. We are focused on the best player. We are focused on the best player. And then we go, and the next day we say, Messi is only as good as Barcelona team is. But we focus on only the best player on our team. So that's where we don't develop the team. We focus on focusing on the Pulisic being a talent. But we don't focus on that number eight that isn't a Pulisic, but he makes a Pulisic. You see what I'm right? Do you think, do you think because... A lot of the game in the U.S. bypasses the midfield is the reason why we don't have it. All the time. All the time. Because the number six and number eight, we, we don't want them to lose the ball, right? So we, we tell our number five, number sixes to find a number seven and number 11, number 10. 
we, far we, away from the goal as possible. Exactly. We don't want to risk losing the ball in the middle. That's my thing. Okay, so uh, Ricky, one of the things that you were talking about is is inviting new players into your club, even though you're you're you know you're more focused and balanced on developing. So I'm like, how do you how do you if you play another team on Sunday, tryouts is on Wednesday. You saw one of the players that you played against. Now your team maybe kept more possession of the ball, but you lost the game. How do you convince the player that you want to now come to your club or maybe recruiting as a college coach, whatever it is, how do you convince that player to come to your club and say, we're doing something better here, even though you lost the game? Um, so I think it has to do with the position. So for instance, like you said, we may have, we may have kept more possession. We may have looked better, um, but we lost the game. You could. If I if I'm a coach trying to get that player to come to my team, I'm I'm going to say something along the lines of one, how do you think we played today? Approach it in that aspect of how do you think we did as a team against you? What could you like what could you bring to that environment? As in, I'm thinking one one maybe the only piece we're missing to really change the, the game for our entire team is say he's say he's that number eight that Eno keeps talking about. Maybe we have a great six that can turn and play that 10-yard pass. We have a great 10 that can burst forward into spaces and find those gaps for the, for the number nines and the number 11s. Or we have those outside backs that go forward and bomb forward and overlap. But all we're missing is that number eight that can find those gaps, connect our whole team together. Maybe you just you really just show him that, hey, all we need is basically you to come here, and that changes our whole game from – Hey, we look good, but we don't always win. To hey, we look good and we also win, and we just climb the rankings there of say top. We go from a top fifty team in the nation to a top ten team right there just by making a simple adjustment of one player. So, so you're saying so you're saying basically when you're inviting a player or you, a player comes to your tryout, you're saying is this is a position that we need, and we've set we've sought you out to fill this position for us rather than you just coming into a club because we are a good club and we're known for winning. Yes, exactly. If, if I'm looking for, when it comes to tryouts or if I'm scouting a player, I'm looking for, I'm not just looking for any good kid that could just come onto the team and be a role player or potentially be a starter or something like that. If I already have that good team that just needs a minor adjustment or just or is missing that one player, I'm targeting specifically a player or a certain position that's needed to gel the team together. And then I, as a coach, it's on me to make those adjustments once that player comes in or that player doesn't come in or we have different move-ins and different people that surprise us at tryouts to then make the team come together as one and uh, fit people into roles, maybe change the tactics a little bit, change the formation a little bit. But so if, if I- you, wait, so you're saying, so if you have two, if you have maybe two or three players on your team that you know can really strike a ball very well, so yeah. they offensively, they're offensively, offensively tipped already naturally, and now you get another kid at tryout who is just as good or even maybe better than that, but you know that you don't need that. You're saying that you're not going to take that player on your team. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if I'm scouting somebody and I'm scouting like a general position, I know like not not disregarding trials, just. If I'm out 
scouting, I see a player that we've maybe played against or I'm at a, or I'm at a tournament and I just happen to be walking by a field and I know this team I'm going to watch for a little bit. If I'm scouting to just try and make my team better outside of tryouts, I'm looking for that one specific position or two or three positions or that special player that I know that can come in and change the game for us. When it comes to tryouts, if I have that number, say it's a number nine, he comes in, I already have two good number nines, but I have a third number nine now at tryouts show up. And like you said, he's either just as good, maybe even a little bit better Then obviously I'm going to invite him. And if he accepts, then I'm going to, me as a coach, I would have the conversation depending on the formation we play and so on and so forth. If I played a, a singular, a four singular forward up top, I would have the conversation with these three players saying trainings, games, these are your chances to show who should be the starter, who shouldn't be the starter, who should get more minutes and stuff. It's on you guys now as you're all very good player. And now it's just your time to show who deserves it. Or, or you could just change the formation of the team and play three strikers up front. That, um, that's very true. <laughs> okay. You know, do you think as youth coaches, we have that, we have that uh, privilege or we have that, uh, what, what do I say? Do we have that uh, sort of like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the word. We are in a position where we can actually see a good player and say, oh, maybe you're not a good fit. Um, well, we do, but the, the issue is this, it's like, okay, most, I've been on big clubs, I've, I've trained and coached for big clubs. And once you get your best 13, 15 players, right, you, you have pretty much made your team already, right? So through tryouts, um, what we forget as youth coaches is that we have the privilege of literally doing whatever we want. But that means we can do whatever we need to do for the player. So we forget that part. So I think the issue is like, yes, big clubs believe that they will get more players if they win more games. So you have to have the best players and play your best number 10 at number 11 or 7 or 10 because he's more skillful and and is an early developer but that 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 doesn't develop him because if i develop my number 10 through scoring 20 goals as a number 9 but then at the next level he's not better than the number 9 who's been training as a number 9 I have not done my job, right? So that's the issue right now. It's like we take clubs are taking all the best players, but not for for their team. They're just taking the best players. So teams are having five number tens on their teams. So how many number tens are getting developed? Two of them. That's where I'm at with the trial situation. So. I don't do that. I don't, when I do my trials or whatever, I'm not looking, I'm looking for the best player to develop him for the best position he can play in. I'm not taking the best players because I don't want the other team to have that third best player in that position. Does that make sense? So we're not developing players. We're just locking players down, hoping the other play, the other team doesn't win. So that's why you came in, like the winning versus development. 
a lot of us are willing to have three, four number 10s instead of having two great number 10s and two great number 9s. So we'll miss out on that one number 9 on a game we need to win and we play a number 10 in the number 9 position because we did not take the number 10 because we focused on number 9. Does that make sense? So that's happening a lot. Yeah, no, I get it. But here's here's another thing and that I also know about coaching youth players is, well, not just youth players. It, it goes the same for professionals. We know that, um, uh, okay, let me give you an example. Uh, John Obi Mikal. John Obi Mikal right. at Chelsea played as a number six, but he grew up playing as a striker. Right. So he, because of the fact that he was one more naturally talented and developed better than the peers around him, you put him in the most sort of like quote unquote most important positions, if you want to say, for lack of better terms, in order for him to get the job done within that team. But as soon as he goes to another team that's better, he's not the strongest in that position anymore. He plays now this position because of the fact that this is a position that we think that he'll be good for us. So as youth players, we know that youth players don't necessarily have set position, but there are certain players who are better in certain positions other than than others. So if you have if you have five number 10s that are your tryouts, probably maybe two of those number 10s might become a good number three or might become a good number four or even the... Right, right, right. right. Um, uh, the guy at Manchester United, um, the right back, he was, uh, he was pretty much a number... He was a nine type of player in when he was younger. So, yeah, but... You know, like, yeah, he was like a he was a forward. He was pretty much yeah. a forward. An attacking player, yeah. Yes, he was a forward player. And but like what I'm trying to say is that he wasn't messy. Like his ability wasn't messy. He had a better ability than Messi. Does that yeah. make sense to you? Like Messi had a technical ability. Um Juan Bissaka had a physical ability. So the, and that's what I'm talking about development. It's like we don't know how to uh, to 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 look at it in America and say, okay, yes, this guy is scoring 10 goals, but he's just a physical specimen. So he's probably going to become Juan Bissaka, a right back, a center back. We don't do that. We don't, we don't do that at all. We just focus on them winning that game for us because they can go past the other defenders. So we are not developing Juan Bissaka. We are developing the, 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 the academy player that wins games versus the other academy. Does that kind of make sense? So, yeah, no, yeah, that completely makes sense. I, I get exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very good point as well. So we're not we're, we're not developing for the overall aspect of a player. Mm-hmm. But potentially that player can bring you to a very good team, but more just we're kind of just looking at the short-term. Yeah, short-term so, so, I'm sorry. So what I mean is like Wambusaka never played right back at a younger like he never played a wing back position until he got to like U sixteen, seventeen, yeah. and the reason why they never did that because they wanted to develop his technical ability for that position. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, Whereas does. a Messi in our environment will not play unless he's unless he becomes a physical specimen as a Messi. Does that kind of make sense? So, like, we don't want Messi to miss out on a dribble, so we do not play him. 
We played a player who didn't miss out on a dribble. But we know Messi dribble is better than that player that who gets the luck, who gets the one Bissaka moment at U16. Does that kind of make sense to you? It's like, yeah. yes. So, so, so that's what's happening. We're letting one Bissaka become our staple of football, but he's not as magical as Messi, regardless of how many goals he scores as a youth yeah. player. So we, so we basically need to do better in, in coaching coaches and coaching development. And exactly. Coaching yeah. That's exactly what it is. All right, uh, Ricky, let me ask you this. How do you marry winning and development? Uh, I think that's a fine line, um, especially when it comes to youth soccer. Because uh, like Eno said earlier, the parents are the ones, for the most part, that are really focused on the winning aspect of it um and i think it's a fine line of kind of merging the two together you you kind uh when and when it comes to the development aspect you want to not only tell your players that hey we're not focusing as much on winning right now as we are on developing and you also want to get that point across to the parents so they don't basically try and cut off your head and try and get you fired to an extent. How, how, how do you, how do you get that point across? You, I mean, we, we're coaches, they get into details. How do you get that point across? Best, best success I've had it. I've had it is it, you just have to say it your first meeting, you, you, uh, the first parent meeting you have first team meeting you have, you just, you have to be Frank. You have to say, this is what, uh, this is how I look at it. I'm more focused on maybe, maybe if, it, it's the first month or the first two months of the season, as opposed to maybe the first year that you have a team. But I'm more focused on developing the players. I'm more focused on to see who fits what position the best. I'm more focusing on the team being together and gelling together, figuring out what formations, what tactics work best for us. Then I am focusing on winning our first two league games or winning our first tournament of the season. And parents, you parents have to realize that that hey this is this is what the coach he has a he has a plan if you just tell parents that and then they come at you with questions and you don't have any solidified experience at it or if you don't have answers to their questions then they're going to look at you and say this coach has no idea what he's talking about or they're going to they're really so going to there needs to be proof in your plan yes they're they're going to question you at every single step of the way but if you if you come ready and prepared and have information to back up what you're saying or, or you're able to answer their questions then they're going to say okay this coach knows what he's doing i'm going to basically trust in the process and then and then once it once you hit that point of maybe we're not fully developed the team's not fully where i want them to be but they're close enough then you have maybe another meeting or you look at the team or you just say hey now we're going to go for wins let's bring it all together and then at a certain point, especially if you've had a specific team for an extended period of time, the de- the development part ne- never stops. But at a certain point, you essentially have to flip a switch and say, now we have to not only focus on developing that our outside back, we're developing our six, eights, and tens, but we have to focus on developing them while also getting the end result. Because at the end of the day, especially in America where we live, everybody loves a winner. All we focus on really is wins and losses. Like you said, you've, you've had meetings where 
they they brought a coach in to see if he's going to get hired or not, and they've just looked at his results of whether he's a winning coach or not, not on how how many players has he developed to go to Division One schools or how many players that he's coached now play professional or anything like that. They focus on your results. So at a certain point, you have to really blend the two together, and I think the best way to do that is you, especially at a youth level, is. You have to you have to be upfront with the parents. You have to get them on board and make sure they understand where you're coming from and that you do have a process. It may just take some time. And then also at the same time, you got to make sure that the kids are really buying into it. Maybe we haven't won a uh, we haven't won a game that tournament. You don't want to see the kids drop their heads and all of a sudden now I'm not having fun because I'm not winning. You have to make sure to encourage them at every aspect. Hey, they're really getting their first touch better. They're, they're getting that diagonal ping over 40 yards better across the field. You have to encourage at every aspect to make sure that it's also fun to develop and get better at the game. And then it becomes even more fun that, hey, now I'm a better player. My team's a better team. And now we're also adding the winning aspect to it. Yeah. Um, a couple of things. And, and I'll ask you, uh, you know, I know, I mean, I know that kids are very result orientated. So it's very hard and it takes it takes a very experienced coach to convey that message to players, even though they're losing every single game. And I know that for a fact. Um, but also, uh, one thing one thing that Rick said was in terms of, uh, you know, sort of a developing and winning is, you know, we might be developing over here, but not necessarily winning. And then it comes to a point where if we develop a certain, a certain uh, standard, then we can have the potentially the potential of, of winning games. What I'm asking you guys is, and sort of like the the, the focal point of this question is, uh, you know, when we talk about winning versus development, is does it have to be a compromise? And the reason why I ask that is because I know coaches who I have coached are who they use development as an excuse because they don't know how to win games. And so does it have to be a compromise in terms of development and winning? That is not a compromise. The issue is this is very good question. The issue is this, right? The issue isn't development. The issue is how what level are we having the player develop at? Mm. So EDP or whatever league can have different flights, right? And the club will decide to play a below average player at an above average level develop uh above level level um league right so what happens is development is slower the development is slower because now the player is starting at a level that they're not supposed to start at for their development mm-hmm. so what happens is player is getting the speed of the game and picking up on little iq situations later because the game is too fast for them at that moment but the issue is the parents are not letting, they're not accepting that the level is high for the player. Right. So, so the player doesn't get the time to develop from the parents. And then the coach gets the pressure from the parents to make sure that player is developing at the level they are not at yet. So what happens is that that player decides to go to a better team at that level right so now the player is at a level 
where they are competing against better players. So guess what happens to their development? It slows down the same way because now they are not getting on the field as the other player that's already been accustomed to that level. So the key is for the coaches and the club to say, listen, we have a player that is a flat one level player, but he's a flat one level player, but he, he isn't a starting flat one level player. He's not going to be a number 10, a number seven. He's not going to be a number nine. He's not going to be the center back for a flat one team, but he will be on the team. The key is to, for the parents to understand and the coach to understand that like, this is a player that if he played flight two or flight three level, he's going to become a really good player for the flight one level two years down the road. Mm-hmm. So that's the key. I feel like we want to develop the player at the level they're not at. And the parents want the players to be at the level that they're not at. So we are focusing on the level of the other players and not the level of our players. So when I get a team, when I make a team for the for the fall 2020, am I making a team for my club level or for the player pool level that I have? I feel like we most of us are not making uh we're not putting our teams in levels they're supposed to be at. Like and vice, I, and vice versa as well, where you have a player who's really good, like you said, a 2005 player. Exactly, exactly. So, and I tell parents, if your player is such at a level that is not the level I'm putting the team at, you are not going to stay on that team. It's just life. It's like soccer equilibrium. It's just common sense. If your player is scoring three goals a game, four goals a game, two assists constantly, then he's not belonging at that level. The issue is for us right now is that we have this good player that scores those two goals in that one game and doesn't do it for the next 10 games. But we keep going back to those one game. So that's why we're not developing players because those players are moving on to a high level early. And then the parents are okay with the level being higher than the player is supposed to be at instead of the player being at the level they're supposed to be at. People don't understand how Xavi and Iesta developed. They don't know the story. They did not go to 11 v 11 a year or two years later than everybody else. People don't know then that. that is this. Yeah, no, you, you're, exactly. you're, you're very so, right. Um, exactly. So that's my take on that part of development. We are, we, the, the, the key is the, the, the coach not being driven by the parents and the parents listening to the coach that is not driven by what they think. That's the key. Right. So, I mean, yeah, gentlemen, you, you brought up a lot of points and just to kind of wrap this discussion up, I mean, we, we, we barely scratched the surface of this, but you know, we, we come into an hour and I don't want to, I don't want this to go for, for, for too long, but, I guess the last thing I will ask, because there's so many different things that coaches can do when it comes to winning and developing, like Ricky, you said, you know, speaking to the parents and making sure that the parents understand because your biggest, your biggest resistance will be parents as a youth coach. And what, you know, you're, what, what you're saying in terms of making, uh, you know, making sure that the players are playing at a certain level 
uh, depending on what they need in order for development, whether that's playing down or playing up, um, you gotta, what's most important is putting them in that environment um, so that they can excel. So I ask you guys this, and just to kind of finishing it off, um, as coaches uh, yourself, uh, here's the scenario. You have, you're playing in a match. It's a state semifinal. Um, potentially, your God soccer points will go up by like 20 if you win this game and get to the final. You have uh, about five minutes left of the game. Um, the current, your current right back right now is a little slow. It's, it's technical, but it's a little slow. Um, he's not as good as a player that you have on the bench that you know that can come into right back and potentially just stop the threat coming down the left side. Do you decide to take that player off and put them on? Or do you keep it as is? Or I'm, well, listen, I'm, I'm not even, I'm, this is not a multiple choice. I'm not going to give you uh, different, different options. As a coach, in terms of your philosophy of between winning and development, what do you do in that in in that in that uh, point? Let's start with you know. Let's start with you. So, the 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 my number one if my number one thing is who's the better right back? If if that was a very great left winger forward, whatever it is, who's my best right back? That's my key. Who's my best right back? So the right back that you have on the field is your right back the player that you have that is not on the field mm -hmm. he, he plays a different position maybe he's a strong striker or midfielder right. or something like that. but you know you could put him on right back you know you can right. do that and he can stop it so what do you do and that's why i said this is what's happening who's my best right back does that make sense who's my best right back so how many messes is my player gonna go against one so why do I change that one messy situation that helps him develop for someone who's never going to go play against Messi? Does that make sense? Like why? Yes. What's the key there? So you say keep. So you're saying keep 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 my right back on. Exactly. Because I've had this situation. Uh, there's a player, and I know you guys know Philly Union. Yeah. Um, there's a player who every club used to uh, train and playing against and one of my parents was very upset when game day came because his kid did not get to play center back against this amazing number 10 and i said your kid is is, is a good size right now but he's always he's never going to play over any other number five or number four because of his size he's just not as smart he's just not as mobile as other players off the ball and on the ball so the reason why i never played him in that position because what i was going to get from him i already knew he was never going to be amazing against this number 10 he was going to have the moment of going against him and have that one clip but it's 70 minutes of a game he, he, he he's getting nothing out of it so i'd rather put the player that's a better player that is fit for that position in that so why play a number nine in my center back position because you can keep up with that faster player 
it doesn't help the number nine score more goals that makes him better. That's where I'm at. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah. focusing on consistency. Is my striker scoring goals every game? Is my defender defending every game? That's my that's what that's what I'm focusing on. Are you scoring every game as a striker? Are you assisting every game as a number eight, number ten? Are you good at reading the game as a number six? Are you good at being a great leader as a number five, a number four, number three? Like, that's the key. Like, do we have enough of a sample size to evaluate your level? That's what I'm focusing on. What about you, Ricky? What do you do? Uh, I'm similar. I it I guess it, it it comes down to if the other if the player on the bench is also a right back and they're faster and maybe could could offset the attacking player's speed a little bit, then I possibly think about putting them in. However, if in in this scenario, it's not a person that typically plays outside back for me. I'm I'm predominantly gonna most of the time stick with my right back that's currently on the field. One because it's it's not just the player's mindset that happens of why am I getting subbed off for a person that doesn't play this position? Am I not like it making the player think he's not good at it or she's not good at it, so on and so forth? But it comes to the comfortability of the team of this player has played right back for us for an extended period of time. They played, they played it all season. They played it for the last three years, so on and so forth. We're comfortable. We know what they can do. It's just more, I think it just comes to, I would prefer doing just a simple um, change to how they're playing. Maybe they're getting tighter to the winger and not letting them turn and get into that foot race. Or if they can't get super tight, maybe they're backing off a little bit to uh, give them give them more space to allow your players to come over and help them in case they do get beat 1v1. Yeah, I'd rather make a simple change like that than I would just yanking the player off the field and substituting someone who's just faster. Okay. Even Great. though you Great point. Great point. Who's going comes to- after the coaching. Say that again. It comes back to the coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. Gentlemen, uh, thank you so much. Um, definitely, I want to I have you guys on because there's so many aspects uh, to this game. Um, something that, that we didn't even get to was um, sort of like different, uh, different sessions that you can do that creates uh, – uh, because m- – Here's the thing. At the end of the day, development is, is, is a lot of it has to do with psychological. And if everybody's on the same psychological page, meaning coach, player, parent, then you create that environment that you were talking about that Messi and ESNM had. Um, and I wanted to kind of go into a little bit more of how you create that environment with the different drills and things that you may say and stuff like that. But we'll save that for, for another time. I thank you so much for joining me on the VAR podcast. Um, good luck during this, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Hopefully we get back on the field, uh, and you guys get back on the field, uh, developing your players. Thank you, Harvey. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. All right. All right. Thank you guys. All right. All right. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you. That is, um, winning versus development VAR podcast.
I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the VAR Booth Podcast. If you like this episode, please rate it, subscribe to our podcast, and comment your thoughts on the topic.